This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by MLB at Bat. Yankees baseball is always live with MLB at Bat. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download MLB at Bat today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. It's our first episode of the baseball calendar second half, even if our last episode came after the 81 game mark. But I think this is actually what we call the second half now, so I think it's fair to say that. Nate, happy second half. Thank you, John. That is Nathan Makaborski. He is the executive editor of Yankees Magazine. Nathan, how uh, how's it been? You've been away from the office a little bit. Why don't you tell us some of the fun stuff you've been up to? Yeah, so it's kind of the whole gang's been out on the road uh, these last couple of weeks. It was nice to Get everybody back together in the office here at the stadium this week, starting with our boss, Al Sanasiri, and Ari Goldman went over to London. And then before they returned, I had left and uh, spent a little time down with our friends in Pulaski, Virginia, checking out our rookie-level team down there. The Yankees' first-round draft pick this year, Anthony Volpe, local product from uh, New Jersey. He began his professional career down there. And we wanted to get down there and kind of catch up with him as he begins his his journey as a Yankee. So I was able to have breakfast with Anthony at the hotel where the where the players stay and watch him work out, spend some time getting to meet not only him, but you know, some of his teammates and coaches and exploring Calfi Park down there. It was a really awesome experience. I, I haven't really taken advantage of the opportunity to go spend a lot of time down with our minor league teams as much as I would like to have done and this was a good one you know the 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 folks down there are great uh Betsy Haw is the general manager um and she's just amazing like the (laughs) the amount of work she does on a day-to-day basis she's just always moving always doing something all over the place yet still manages to somehow like fulfill every single request and task uh she's really awesome and you know the fans too were great the night I was down there to watch Anthony play it was July 3rd and uh you know the team was planning a post-game fireworks celebration and it seemed like the whole town of Pulaski came out and you could tell they really support their team well down there so it was a great experience and then from there you headed off to Cleveland and We've just been all over the place, so uh, it's good to be back here uh, in the Bronx this week. It's funny because we were completely at the opposite sides of the baseball spectrum over the last week. You know, <laughs> it's you, true. You, you're in rookie ball. I, I was at the Major League Baseball All Star Game, and I don't take it for granted for a second when I get to do things like All Star Games and all these things. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. You know, I, I pitched a story this year. It was the reason I went, and it worked out. It's hard to explain to people how much I enjoy the minor league stories that we do mm-hmm. almost at the same level. I'm certain that the story that I'm doing off the major league baseball all-star game is going to get more online clicks and all these things than any of the minor league stories I've ever written. A little more star power in your story. But the the joy that I get from being around the minor leaguers, um, and, and, and I don't just mean that from a, you know, oh, look at these kids having fun playing. I literally mean like, because when you're writing a story about a minor leaguer, you can be like standing next to him in the batting cage as he's working out. You yeah. can be like, on the mound with him. 
Yeah, you know, down there, it, it seems to rain a little bit every day. So, um, you know, as they had just begun batting practice, uh, all of a sudden the tarp comes on the field and everybody just kind of pours inside. And, you know, I'm just sitting there in the cafeteria with these rookie-level players, you know, getting to know some of these guys. And and they think you're the boss when you're doing this. They think <laughs> you, you are the guy who's there from New York, so you can go wherever you want to go. I know. I was wearing my Yankees polo, and they're kind of, like, looking at everybody's, you know, sneaking glances over, like, who's this guy? You know, what's he here for? But... Yeah, you know, it's cool. A lot of them were kind of in the same boat as Anthony, where they were 2019 draft picks, just getting their career started, or international free agents who were really young. You know, they all have that dream. They all have that kind of spark that in their eye of just, uh, you know, they're they're excited. They, they know it's a long road, but every single one of them that believes that they're going to be in the big leagues someday, and they're working pretty hard toward that goal. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to read that story which is going to be in our august issue but our july issue just went on sale this past friday last friday july 12th when we came back from the all-star break our cover boy this month is dd gregorius always a popular choice and it's been a weird first half of the season it was i should say a weird first half of the season in some ways without dd here he's in a lot of ways the conscience of the team he's the voice of the team he's the easiest to approach for fans in some ways because of how active he had been previously on twitter and when he was gone he was really gone Mm -hmm. and you know this was a topic that i really wanted to examine in my story about him which is just dd doesn't like watching baseball (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so dd did not rehab while under the spell of the sport he, he, he approaches rehab by trying to do everything else that he doesn't get to do in his life as he came back from tommy john surgery while at the same time i should point out coming back so fast from tommy john surgery that the team had to slow him down as we've kind of delved into in the past dd is a guy of many interests um which is really cool you know like every guy's wired differently some guys anthony volpe for example for example you know when i spoke to him it was like you know what do you do when you're not playing baseball and you need to take your mind off things and he's like uh you know i talk to my family like (laughs) guys like dd have many many interests outside of baseball and he seems to be sort of the exception you know it's a bit of a rarity to to find guys in the clubhouse who have that many outside interests and you had a funny line in your story john about that sort of makes him both better and worse suited to go through something like an eight-month tommy john rehab i did a story a few years ago about the rehab process where you know greg bird was actually extremely open to me about the mental nightmare of entry rehab because he felt he had nothing he had nothing he could do he, he couldn't even watch he couldn't believe that he couldn't even watch the games because they hurt him too much on the flip side of that Didi doesn't want to watch the games he told me he watched two games in the entire time he was away one was cc's 3000th strikeout which i doubt he watched the whole game but he watched that moment <laughs> and the other was he was hanging out with aaron hicks and hicks was watching baseball because he watched every game and so Didi was like forced to watch baseball <laughs> So on the one hand, you have this guy who it's like, wow, you know, the world is open to you. You got some money. You got some time. These are things you've never really had in your life. Go wild. And on the other hand, it's just, how do I get back? Because I need to be playing. I need, I need to be back on the field. Even if I don't want to watch this game, I need to be back on the field right now. So it was really strange for him. And in true DD fashion, like, there's no, there's no half-stepping. Like, you know, if he's going to do something on the side, he's going to do it all the way. So... John, what did you discover were, were, were some of the things that he did to kind of keep his mind active and occupied while he was away from the team? I don't think I laugh 
as much when I interview anyone else as I do when I interview DD. Not because he tells jokes per se, but because his answers are just so ridiculous to everything. Because <laughs> it, it just, you know. So what did you do? Well, you know, I worked on my photography. You know, I, I mastered this new editing software. Um, really tried to handle learning a lot about the light and everything like that. You know, then that got a little bit boring. So I decided to start moving into video editing, and I created an animation from one of my career highlights. And I and I had it ready. I worked, you know, months and months on it to make sure that it would be ready to tweet out on the day that I came back. And, you know, of course, I also started playing piano. Um, <laughs> you know, and I bought two pianos because I feel like if you only buy one piano, you know, then if you go on vacation, you know, say, you're not going to have it with you. So I wanted to have one in Curacao and one at my home so I could make sure I always had access to it. Of course, there was also the skydiving. Mm-hmm. and Naturally. You know, yeah. So, you know, he and Jordan <laughs> Montgomery during their rehab soon after the team left. And that's really, I should point out, a really hard time for a lot of players on rehab is because everyone's around them for spring training. And then you get to those last days of spring training when it's just like so miserable down there and everyone wants to get out. And then everyone's so happy when they get out, except for the players who get left behind. And so it was cool. Didi and Jordan Montgomery took some of the minor leaguers out to an indoor skydiving place. And Didi loved it. And he was just like, okay, not only do I want to do this several times a week, but I want to get certified so I can be a skydiver. I mean, that's just how he, that's just who he is and how he is. And it's hilarious because he just keeps dropping this stuff in on you. And you're trying to write a story about like a baseball player. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about baseball as far as his rehab went until like literally he was in the cage. And I could ask him some questions about what he was working on. He's a he's a special dude, man. <laughs> I wish I could like bottle whatever it is that drives you to just, you know, when you start something, just to take it as far as as you possibly can and, and succeed the way he has. I mean, I guess that's how you end up a night and the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees. And and that's the thing. These guys are all superhuman. It doesn't matter who, who he is. Like, if you're playing for the New York Yankees, you are a remarkable, remarkable athlete. And that does not just, usually, I would say, that does not just come by making you good at one thing. Like, these people, their bodies are calibrated in such a way as to foster expertise. And so, as surprising and funny as it is when you talk to Didi about this stuff, I actually don't think that it's that unusual. There are a lot of guys on this team who, you know, are excellent guitar players or are good, really good golfers or other things like this. And, and the answer is not just because, you know, a good athlete is a good athlete. I think great athletes understand excellence and understand the pursuit of excellence. Didi just happens to take his pursuits so far away from the baseball field and is more maybe willing to talk about some of that stuff than he is about baseball. It's impossible to interview Didi about what he did on the field at any given point or what he was thinking when he faced this pitch. He, he doesn't give you real answers when you do that stuff. But if you start asking him about playing the piano, he can have a whole conversation with you about that. And that was, to me, one of the more interesting things that he did during this rehab process because he might have stumbled on something, a, a, a new technique. You know what the funny thing is? I don't know if that was real or something he noticed it came to me because i had a shoulder problem a few years back and when i would be at physical therapy one of the things that i would see a lot of people who were there working on arm injuries would be what do they call them like arm finger bridges or whatever it is and it's basically a thing where you know it goes vertically up a wall and you have to it's a finger ladder i think is what it's called and you have to keep moving your fingers up the different rungs of it and it looks a lot like playing a piano. So I asked him, like, when you were doing this, did that feel like rehab in any way? Expecting him to say, like, laughing and say no. And he's like, yeah, I did start noticing that, like, you know, I was building strength. It's important to mention, I, I think that Didi, I'm trying to say this without making it sound like I'm making a joke of it because I'm not. 
I think that he has something biological in him that gives him a crazy pain threshold. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think that he's tough. I think that he has a different response to pain mm-hmm. than some people do. If you watch him, you know, he got injured in the division series last year. And he knew right away that he had torn the ligament in the elbow. He knew. You barely feel it because the adrenaline is always up. So that's the only thing I had. The only time that I kind of felt it was like when I was throwing, making long throws. But short throws is fine. Long throws is when I felt it when I had to put on more behind it. And yet the next game, he's throwing across his body. He's batting. He's doing all these things. And he was laughing. He's like, don't tell anybody. I know that this is done. And then afterward, they're like, I think it's time for you to get an MRI, Didi. And he's like, we don't need to bother. Like, I'm telling you, I need the surgery. <laughs> Just schedule um, the surgery. I already told them that I needed needed to get it done. They're like, we wanted to make an MRI to make for sure. I was like, it's already torn. I'm telling you it's torn because I can feel it. They gave me two days, two days to think about it. And we did an MRI. And until they're like, well, we have some bad news. I was like, I already know the bad news. I just want to have the surgery and just get it over with. And then I had the surgery after. But he was telling me other injuries that he was playing through at the same time. And, you know, things that haven't been reported anywhere. And that, frankly, I'm probably not supposed to have even have just said that. And the thing is, it's the same. He, he had the surgery. And within that week, he's reporting to the doctor that he's feeling pain in the site of where the surgery was. Not like debilitating, but he's feeling it. And the doctor said, you shouldn't be feeling anything right now. And so my instinct when he's telling me this is, oh, no, did something go wrong? And what he's saying is, no, his nerves just came back that fast mm. from like he, he should not have been feeling anything there because he was healing so fast like, mm. or, or because he was becoming able to handle it so fast. So I had the surgery and three days later, two days later, it was already itchy. And the doctor told me it's not possible that I'm already itchy. I was like, well, yeah, I'm already itchy and I want to take this off. So I think I had it on Friday and then Monday I took it off. And then they put me in the brace. They put me in the brace because he told me not supposed to itch already. It means it's already healing. And so, you know, as much as I joked about, you know, this idea of, you know, the fingers, you know, helping the process and, and playing the piano helping the process, I, I don't actually doubt for a second that that actually is true, that, that, that he did get benefit from just not just trying to rehab in like a single pursuit and trying to do one thing and like rehab his arm for baseball, but the act of like doing all the things that he was doing, I'm sure that helped him push forward faster. So if there are any, uh, you know, surgeons out there listening to this podcast. Yeah, by the way, like don't sue me for the medical advice that I've just given (laughs) in that. (laughs) Or I don't know, maybe you've, you know, like I said, maybe you stumbled upon something here. Maybe this is a uh, a new advancement in in medical rehab technology. And, you know, you're going to see pitchers who... You know, <laughs> they get Tommy John surgery, and then all of a sudden they're all playing piano or guitar. Ah, or yes, whatever. It's, it's the John Schwartz Didi Gregorius method. Now yeah. this is going to be the first <laughs> podcast we put Yankees Magazine podcast we put a disclaimer at the beginning of. <laughs> John Didi is always a happy guy. He's always got a big smile on his face. He's always positive. When you went to report on this story, when he was first coming back. I think you were there for his first games back in Cleveland at the beginning of June. Could you tell a difference? Was he even happier than normal? Is there an even higher level of, of joy that Didi Gregorius can can achieve? I don't know. Didi's joyful, like you said. I think the easiest way that I personally saw the difference was, and again, you know, I say this a lot. This is a great thing about Yankees Magazine and about the way we run our department. You know, I didn't just go to Cleveland to watch his first games back. I also spent time with him in Scranton where I could see him working his way back. And the benefit of that was, you know, in the course of like a week to a week and a half, something like that, I really did get to see 
a lot of progression that I made a big part of the story. He was very frustrated in Scranton. He hadn't been in the minor leagues for a long time. He had a rain out the night before. It was pouring when we were there. It was looking like it was going to be another rain out. It, everyone had bought tickets to go see Didi Gregorius. They were getting frustrated and they were like making extra demands of him on account of that because he wasn't getting to perform in the field. So then, yeah, you get to Cleveland and it's hard to say if it was more joyful it was just he was dd again mm-hmm. but you know he comes up for the first time and he just like cranks that ball to the right field corner and then gets thrown out trying to stretch it into a double and it was just like from minute one you're just like okay you know dd's back dd's going full strength he's back you know he had said that there was no idea of holding him back in any way he was fine and the reason i wanted to be in cleveland and it paid off for the whole weekend is i got to see the plan of well we're gonna play, sit him down and give out one game a series and, you know, he has two hits in the first game and he has two hits, including a home run in the second game. And you could just see him saying, like, yeah, right, you're going to sit me down. And you could see Boone saying, like, look, man, stop asking me. I'm sitting you down. <laughs> and it was just a funny little back and forth between them. And he was saying, you know, he kept trying to fight him and he had been fighting Aaron since he got back. And you, you could believe it's true because, again, like sitting on the bench and watching baseball, that just doesn't work for him. He needs to be playing. Well, it was a, uh, a really great idea, I think, to pitch the story you did for the July cover on, you know, a guy who didn't have very many at-bats when you came up with the story idea, but a guy who's been so important to this team over the last few years. I love the way the whole story came out. I think the cover is super dynamic. It's been a while, I think, since we've run a player uh, in a road uniform, an action shot uh, on the cover of Yankees magazine, but I think that's pretty cool, too. I got to say the funniest thing for me is people who know me well and people who have met me once probably know that I'm a pretty gigantic Bruce Springsteen fan. And everyone's been saying to me like, oh, look at you. You finally throw a Springsteen uh, thing onto the cover there. And I'm just like, I promise you I had nothing to do with the cover line for this one. In fact, I'm pretty sure that when we were voting on cover lines, I voted for the other one. (laughs) It's true. But Thunder Road is our cover. So for all the Bruce uh, fans out there like me, we got we got our we got our boy. Well, Didi and the Yanks are rocking and rolling, as it says on the cover. And uh, I felt with his first games back in Cleveland and being there for the All-Star game this month as well, uh, just kind of it all came together. You know, I really found in the last like 40 days or so that there's just not too many days you can spend in Cleveland. I uh, really, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I laugh. I actually, I, I really do like Cleveland. I think I've been defending it a lot to a lot of people, including our photographer, Barry Schneiderman, who I made come with me not once, but twice in the course of <laughs> like six weeks. But it's a great place. It's a great stadium. They put on a fantastic show during the All-Star Game. I thought it was really, really a special event they did. I've been lucky enough to be to a bunch of All-Star Games. And there was something about this one that felt the least forced. I mm-hmm. thought it just felt very much like a beautiful, perfect production. Cleveland just came through really well. The weather was the best weather we've ever had for an All-Star Game, pretty much so. But it, yeah, I, I like Cleveland. I like going back there. I was lucky that to be sent there twice, and I'm, I'm really proud of this cover story, proud of this cover, and glad to have been able to do it. As you should be, John. It's a great piece. Uh, it's called Excelsior. It is the July cover story. You can pick it up at Yankee Stadium. You can call 1-800-GO-YANKS and order it, or you can read the story online at yankees.com slash magazine. So that's just the first part of this episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. When we come back, it's time to discuss another infielder, one who, while Didi was injured for much of the first half, was just putting on an absolute show almost every night. So stick with us. We'll be back. Hi, this is Didi Agorius. 
You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. The Yankees Magazine Podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. So we are back and welcome back. And, you know, as we've been discussing a little bit already on this episode, we're just coming off the All-Star game and this issue has a lot of All-Star content, really. You know, there's a feature that Gary Phillips wrote about Masahiro Tanaka, which is awesome. Masa got the win in the All-Star game. We have a Q&A with Roger Clemens. Lord knows Roger Clemens played in enough All-Star games. And while maybe not the actual All-Star game itself, but certainly closest to the stars of anything else that we write about, you know, there's a really cool item in there about the Apollo program. We're celebrating this week the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And if you're at Yankee Stadium, you should go check out by the museum. There's this really, really cool... Um, life-size replica of Neil Armstrong's spacesuit uh, that, that we have a statue of there, and this is certainly the week to go check it out. While we were going through all the all-star balloting and everything like that, you know, one player who was attracting a lot of attention was Gio Rochella, and, you know, he didn't end up winning a starting spot, and he didn't end up making the all-star team, but man, if you're not going to find someone who is more valuable to the Yankees with everything they went through in the first half than Gio Rochella, Nate, you did an unbelievable job i thought in telling that story so you know first things first just right off the bat why geo look like you said i mean he was a major contributor to the yankees first half you know a lot of guys stepped up some were to be expected perhaps a little bit and other guys were a little more unexpected and i would certainly put geo urshela in that last category but he's been a great story and that's what we love here you know we like finding great stories and writing about them and had a chance to talk to Gio in the clubhouse and bring a little bit of his, you know, background and his his whole personality uh, to our readers. Um, to me, one of the most interesting parts of maybe not his background, but his background as a Yankee is that for all the talk about him coming out of nowhere, I think that there's people in the Yankees front office who will give you a not so fast, my friend there, because <laughs> this is not such a surprise to them. No, Gio was a guy who had been on Brian Cashman's radar for for a few years, you know, back when Gio had come up with the Indians about eight or nine years, I would say, in, in their organization. And the Yankees, of course, watch everybody they have they have their eyes on other teams uh, players all the way down the through the minors and Gio Urshela was a guy that the front office here recognized uh was a absolutely stellar defender that has always been the case that's nothing new really but Brian Cashman told me that they had kind of identified certain things in his game at the plate that they thought that there was some some untapped potential there you know he kept calling and having conversations with the Indians trying to acquire Geo, but they were never able to, to work anything out. And then 2018, it was kind of a tough year for Urshela. He was DFA'd twice, he was traded twice, and eventually the Yankees were able to acquire him from the Blue Jays last August, basically just for cash, and they sent him to AAA, to Scranton. That was where the the bat that the Yankees had kind of always believed might be there started to emerge he batted over 300 for Scranton 
throughout the rest of that season. They made the International League playoffs, and he performed well there as well. So he was a, a minor league free agent after the, or would have been a minor league free agent after the season, but the Yankees and Urshela were comfortable with each other and thought good things can happen, so they locked him up for this year. You have to go back to, and I'm sure I do this every time we record this, you know, back in spring training, at the end of spring training, when Tyler Wade was understandably upset about not making the team. I think that he felt he had done everything that he could do and had shown the results. And obviously this is cliche, but you hear Aaron Boone mention in the moment, it will take more than 25 men for us to win the World Series this year. Who would have thought Miguel Andujar is going to be just have nothing this year. I mean, really be injured so much that he can't do anything. I spoke to Urshela because I have been writing a story, spoiler alert, about DJ LeMahieu. And I asked him, he has a good second half last year. He resigns with the team. He's got to be envisioning for himself kind of that role that they signed DJ LeMahieu to play, a guy who can play all over the field a little bit and is going to pick up the pieces from, frankly, an infield that when all the pieces are in place is overfilled. And I asked him, you know, is it frustrating for you when you see the team get LeMahieu in that situation? And he just said, no, I knew, I know what I can do. And I know that if given an opportunity, I can keep, I can stay on the field. And that's the right answer first off. And I'm sure it's the answer that you're trained to say, but you know, you can look at what he did this year and say, yeah, that's it. He waited for his opportunity and he forced his way into it. And then when given it to him, you know, he said, I'm keeping this and I'm staying here. That confidence, you know, is so key, especially in a game like baseball. And Gio Urshela, has, he's never lost that confidence, even when he had the tough year that he had last year, even when he came into this season without a guaranteed spot on the major league roster. He's just always not only believed in himself, but I think you know, he's always been a guy who believes in, in that there's always room to grow. There's always room to get better. You know, like I said, he... He was, you know, heralded in the minor leagues for his his glove, but, you know, that didn't stop him from trying to get even better, and he did. His reputation throughout the Indians organization when he was coming up through their system uh, preceded him. You know, everybody knew about Gio Urshela over there. This past offseason, then, he, he, he tweaked a couple things, I guess, in his, his batting stance. He also went to the Dominican Winter League and he played for Lise and talked about just learning more there. Now, you know, this is a guy who's been a professional for over 10 years and, you know, he still has that mentality of, you know, he played alongside guys like Hanley Ramirez and Eric Ibar and he was trying to just gain what he could from being around guys like that. There's some, I feel, revisionist history going on right now about what Miguel and Duhar was last year. And I'm not going to suggest that his defense was better than it was because it was rough. I think the Yankees would more than trade off what they were able to get from him offensively last year. Um, and, recognize, you know, I watched a lot of Yankees baseball last year. I don't think there's too much that his defense truly cost them, per se. With that said, oh, my God, watching Gio Urshela play defense, it's just remarkable. Like, the way that like his glove just follows those hops. Mm-hmm. You know, when he when he's diving in one way and his arm is basically moving the other direction on a rough hop. I mean, this is Ozzy Smith stuff. You yeah. know, it's just I can't believe when he comes up with a ball or when he just corrals something and throws it down in front of him and has enough time to make the throw or when he's going into foul territory and somehow throws across his body like that. It's just remarkable and it's fun to watch and it's exciting and yeah, they're getting offense from him too, which is awesome. But 
you watch a guy who's that good at defense and you expect that there's no bat there almost. And it's shocking when you see the bat. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brian Cashman said like, you know, whatever we get with the bat is kind of gravy. It's they weren't necessarily, they were hoping for it, not necessarily expecting it, but you know, they viewed Gio Urshela as an insurance policy. You know, if somebody were to go down, they knew that they could plug him in and that right away, they did not have to worry about him costing the team games on defense. They knew they, the, the glove was legit. If the front office is doing their job, we're lining up insurance policies waiting in the wings that you hope you never have to cash in on. So we've had to cash in on this insurance policy that's paid up. The dividends is paying off as far exceeding our expectations. And, you know, uh, we're thankful for that. Seeing the way he's able to uh, not only catch the ball, but finish the plays. I mean, rolling off into foul territory and making throws across his body and across the diamond and, and getting guys out at first. It's its unlike anything we've seen in a long time here. This is a pretty ridiculous way to evaluate baseball, but like, just bear with me for one second. If you went back to April of 2018, so the beginning of last season, mm-hmm. and tried to guess who would be at first base and who would be at third base in July of 2019, <laughs> I think it'd be You'd obviously have said Greg Bird and Miguel Andujar. Brian Cashman gets a lot of credit for what he did in 2016 and the way that he took valuable, valuable pieces of the big league team and turned them into things like Gleyber Torres and Clint Frazier and what have you. You What he did last year for small pieces (laughs) to get Luke Voigt and now Gio Rochella, where would this team be? These were just such unheralded moves at the time. That, you know, I mean, Luke Voigt and Gio Rochelle, honestly, like, where is this team without those two? And, yeah, I mean, Trace, Chase and Shreve was a good pitcher and had some good outings with the Yankees, but it's unbelievable. <laughs> the, they definitely go in the uh, the positive ledger on, on Cashman's resume as far as, uh, you know, moves that really didn't cost the Yankees very much and uh, yielded players who have just been incredible contributors so far in 2019. Geo with the bat. I mean, you just you almost expect it now. You know, when you see him up there in a big spot, you're almost surprised when he doesn't come through. Seventh inning Monday night. I mean, ho hum. You know, just drop it over the fence and tie it up. It's just this is what he does. That's what he does. I mean, bases loaded. He was like hitting 800 with the bases loaded at the time we wrote this story. I don't know where he's at now, but it's probably right around there still. Probably pretty good. So yeah, he he's really been you know one of one of the team MVPs. You know. I wouldn't put him necessarily above DJ LeMahieu or Gary Sanchez, but he's he's up there in that conversation. It's actually really funny. I've been, as I've said, working on my Spanish, trying to fulfill my goal, which I'm holding myself to, of conducting one actual interview in Spanish this year. And so I went up to him. Actually, it was when I was in Cleveland, and you know he was kind of standing at a table in the center, and I just went up to him and said, Gio, tienes un minuto. Um, you know, Gio, do you have a minute? And he looked at me, and he's like, "See." Sí. And then I started asking the question in English. He speaks English. He's like, no, no. <laughs> and I think he was like so ready for me to just do this interview in Spanish. I was like, I'm not there yet, my man. <laughs> no, he would be a good one to do the, the first one with, though, I'm sure. Yeah, someday, someday. So the feature is there's something about Geo, And as it says right there on the deck, he is exceeding all expectations. Nate, you can never exceed my expectations because I always expect awesome things from your stories. <laughs> this one certainly delivered. I imagine all of our readers will feel the same way we are really just getting started on the second half now Nate and I and the rest of the team here we are hard at work on the August issue it is unfathomable that we are talking about August but man that's going to be a special issue we have some really historic things happening around the Yankees right now 
this coming weekend. It's going to be a doozy. Nate, you're going to be up in Cooperstown mm-hmm. for what is certain to be one of the most memorable weekends in Yankees history up there. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for you to be able to watch Mo and Mike Messina get inducted this weekend, and we can look forward to your story about that. And in more somber news, pretty soon we have coming up the 40th anniversary of Thurman Munson's death. And, you know, that's going to be a harder day at the stadium, obviously, for a lot of people. And we have something about that in the August issue as well. So big issue. It's a big issue. And it's funny with the Yankees because, you know, you can go back and you can do all this historic stuff and you can do some of the greatest players and greatest moments in the history of the sport. And then you could do what we just did for the last 45 minutes and discuss, you know, Didi Gregorius, a guy who was basically just a, okay, well, here's here's an op- option maybe to replace Derek Jeter. We'll see how this works out. And also, here's some cash. Can we have Gio Urshela? So they're not always going to be Babe Ruth, but... Still man, great stories. Without Didi Gregorius and Gio Urshela, where are the Yankees right now? Wow. Story of this team. So we will be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, check out the rest of the July issue by going to any program stand at yankee stadium you can go to yankees.com slash publications and you can pick up an individual copy or a subscription yankees.com slash magazine where you can read the long form content you are listening to the yankees magazine podcast we are grateful for you we would be even more grateful for it to you if you subscribe to the yankees magazine podcast and also convince all of your friends to subscribe if you want to give them money um to offer them some sort of incentive to subscribe you know we're not going to pay you back but that's still pretty great so go ahead and do that at yankees.com slash podcast or any of the podcast apps that you use follow us on twitter at yanks magazine write us letters letters at yankees.com or podcast at yankees.com we are very interested in hearing from you we will be back in two weeks until then have a great time enjoy the baseball you're going to get to watch and enjoy the sun and make sure you wear sunscreen so we'll speak to you soon bye now Hi, this is Tommy Kamen. For more stories like the ones you've been hearing about, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app.